Welcome to What's the Data Point, a public policy podcast brought to you by Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. Check out our work on the web at GothamGazette.com and CBCNY.org. I'm Maria Doulis from the CBC, introducing a very special data point in episode today. Our data point is 86, as in the 86th annual CBC Awards Dinner held on February 28, 2018 in New York City. Here at CBC, we are constructive critics of state and local government, but at our annual dinner, we like to highlight the agencies and public servants working in the spirit of CBC's mission to make positive changes to government operations and policy. The Medal for High Civic Service was presented to New York City Comptroller Scott Stringer, who offered the evening's keynote address on responsible fiscal management in New York City. That's available on our website and includes the great line, a bureaucracy at rest stays at rest. We'll have the controller on the podcast in coming weeks to discuss the New York City budget and pension funds. Coming soon. The prize for public service innovation was awarded to the Medicaid redesign team for a collaborative approach to containing Medicaid expenditures without compromising the quality of care. Finally, CBC presented the Felix G. Rowett Award given to Champions of New York and Sound Fiscal Management to former Federal Reserve Board Vice Chair Stanley Fisher. For this podcast, we are presenting Stanley Fisher's remarks from the dinner. He covers two broad topics, first, national fiscal policy, and second, financial markets. He touches upon several important issues, including the level of U.S. debt and budget deficits, Dodd-Frank, infrastructure quality, interest rates, the wisdom of the stock market, and he even discusses Newton Galileo. Intrigued? Great. Listen in. Well, I'm uh, honored to receive the uh, Citizens Budget Commission Medal for High Civic Service, in uh, the presence of many people whom I greatly respect, among them Bob Rubin and Paul Volcker, uh, both of whom have shown great courage under media and opposition fire, and in doing so contributed mightily to the success of economic policy in the United States in the last two decades of the last century. I am, of course, Honoured also to receive an award named after the first Felix Roatan lecturer, Felix Roatan. He played a similar critical role a decade earlier in restoring credibility to the budget of New York and to completely changing New York's reputation from that of the 60s and 70s to what it is today. And uh, without that fiscal foundation, it wouldn't have happened. And we all owe a great deal uh, to Felix. I know uh, a younger part of the family than Felix, uh, who is present tonight, and we've been friends for a long time, and it's great, uh, Nick, to uh, win this award after your, named after your uh, father. And there are many other, others present tonight have more than once done their civic duty in a variety of difficult circumstances. We should recognize and thank all of them what they've done to preserve civic life in this great city. And let me also mention something which I enjoy as often as I possibly can. The civic service performed by the city officials who well over a century ago had the vision and courage and budgets to build one of the greatest infrastructure projects of all time, Central Park. 
the city is built around that insight, and uh, it's really quite remarkable. Now, I understand that the CBC believes strongly in budgetary prudence, and it accordingly told me I would have 12 minutes to speak. <laughs> so, let me get on with the two topics I will discuss briefly. One, where we stand on fiscal policy at the national level. And second, a topic which I thought when I was asked to do this speech would be the dominant one, the stock market and financial markets more generally. What do we have to take into account about those institutions? Well, on fiscal policy, the B in CBC stands for budget. And I noticed that Bob uh, emphasized my contributions to fiscal policy. Uh, my contributions to fiscal policy usually consisted of uh, going to finance ministries and listening to them and having a lot of questions and then going over to the central bank. And the uh, rule, if you're ever in this business, is if you want a good critique of fiscal policy, go to the central bank. If you want a good critique of monetary policy, usually they're not as good. You go to the, uh, you go to the Treasury. Uh, and uh, I uh, note that the B stands for budget, and that's a good reminder for macroeconomists that macro is not only about monetary policy, as it seems to be uh, on many an occasion, but it's also about budgetary and fiscal policy. And in addition, interest rates are affected by what Keynes called animal spirits, which we, it's not uh, a particularly uh, sophisticated form of liquor, uh, which we could define as the propensity of people to take greater risks in their investment uh, decisions. When it was believed not so long ago that we were suffering from secular stagnation, there was a strong focus on the difficulties very low real interest rates would pose for future monetary policies. The administration's fiscal policy, the tax cuts plus the budget, certainly increase the deficit and so will tend to increase real interest rates. But current policy might also increase animal spirits in large part because the administration is easing up on restrictions on economic activity and on regulation, particularly financial regulation. Now, all this could be good for investment and for growth, but it is not costless. Measures to report, reverse important elements of the Dodd-Frank Act will increase the risks of future financial sector difficulties and carried far enough, increase the risk of financial crises. And as we have seen, a major financial crisis imposes immense costs on the economy. We should not lightly embark on policies that will tend to increase the probability of future financial crises. Nor should we ignore the costs of excessive risk-taking by the private sector, for even short of a major crisis, politics will inevitably bring government into dealing with the consequences of risks of the private sector that have gone wrong. How large a budget deficit can we afford? 
Well, the Maastricht Treaty in 1992 enshrined 3% of GDP as respectable. But of course, the deficit a country can afford depends on many factors, including how fast the country is growing. Our federal deficit for this fiscal year is projected to be about 5% of GDP. In fiscal year 2019, which starts late this year, the national debt is expected to be about 100% of GDP, a peacetime number that comes close to the debt-to-GDP ratio at the end of World War II, which is a fairly mind-boggling uh, uh, mind fact. And the debt-to-GDP ratio specified in the uh, Maastricht Treaty is 60%, and that has generally been taken as a number that you could live with. We are very far from that. Now, the fiscal situation doesn't look like much of a problem at the moment because the interest rate is so low. There are no plausible plans, but there are no plausible plans to return to much lower debt-to-GDP ratios, let alone the Maastricht 60%. Let me turn next to infrastructure. Visitors from abroad or Americans returning from abroad cannot understand why an economy as rich and powerful as that of the United States lives with the infrastructure we have. When I was in the Fed, I would several times a year make a visit to Europe to take part in two conferences, one in Basel, Switzerland, and the other in Paris, before returning home. The trip between Basel and Paris was by the TGV, during which we traveled at speeds which generally were well above 180 miles an hour, and we traveled absolutely smoothly. Now, I don't know whether any of you have been on the SLA Express, <laughs> but uh, when I was buying a cup of coffee and uh, the, cars, the, the, uh, the cars started shaking, the lady behind the counter said, oh, we're approaching, uh, we're approaching uh, Wilmington. I said, how do you know? She said, well, you get to know where the bumps are and what they're, <laughs> what they're like. Well, that's terrific. I mean, a little local interest uh, certainly makes the trip more interesting, but uh, it can be done differently. I find the difference between the quality of the ride on the Acela Express and the TGV to be bothersome, embarrassing, and worrying as are similar differences in many other elements of our infrastructure. And we need a serious program to improve the quality of our infrastructure. Well, one last point on our fiscal situation. Fiscal relations in the tri-state region are remarkably complicated. I've not lived in the region long enough to understand them, and if you invite me another 20 years uh, to give the, another speech, I'll probably have something to say about them. So what can we say at the end of these, uh, of these complaints? Perhaps a slight variation on what Galileo was reported to have said at his trial. Still, it moves. We can say of the tri-state region, still, it works. 
But that is not to say that it could not be made to work much more efficiently for the good of the residents of this region and for those well beyond it. And that possibility is worth further serious thought. Let me turn now to the stock market. On Janet Yellen's last day in office, and for a few weeks thereafter, stock prices became unusually volatile. This was a surprise because we were all becoming used to the remarkable stock market performances of the last two years. All you had to do was to put your money in stocks, and you'd find the value of your portfolio rising at a smart rate immediately thereafter. This, ex this, this expectation of what would happen if you went into the market should remind us of the portfolio performance of Sir Isaac Newton during the time of the South Sea bubble, one of the first and greatest of the major asset price bubbles in financial history. Newton, following his fundamental work in physics and mathematics, became the director of the Mint in Britain. And he also began to invest in financial assets. He was, of course, the greatest scientist of his age, and uh, we'll have an argument about Einstein, but he was one of the greatest scientists of all time. He made a lot of money holding stock in the South Sea Company, a company set up in 1711 to trade with the Spanish territories in South America. After a while, he decided the stock was overpriced and becoming more so and sold out. But the price continued to rise, and Newton decided to get back into the market. And he got back in time to be holding South Sea stock in 1720 when the bubble burst. That was the greatest scientist uh, of the generation and of many generations. Now, one of the perils of being an economist is that non-economists expect you to be a good forecaster. Well, as my wife always tells people who ask me what will happen in the markets, she says, he's not good at that. <laughs> or as if Bob Rubin will tell you, I am tempted often to use Bob Rubin's advice, but only he can get away with it. If you ask for his advice on stock prices, well, stock prices go up and they go down, and then they might go down or up again. And if you want to know about the exchange rate of the dollar, you can figure out what Bob would have told you. It would either have been exchange rates go up and they go down, etc. But if you are particularly blessed, it would have been a strong dollar is in the interests of the United States. Let me come back briefly to the stock market. The great MIT economist, Paul Samuelson, was famous, among other things, for having said... The stock market has forecasted nine of the last five recessions. <laughs> that is to say, one should watch what the market's behavior is telling you. But you should also remind yourself that the market is no more infallible than anyone else, and that what you're being told by the market may not necessarily be right. One final comment, and this one is more serious than most of the others. When central bankers cut the central bank interest rate to as low as they possibly could, in the beginning the rate was zero, later it was to negative numbers, 
They did so to help raise the prices of financial assets, including houses and other real estate, and any other long-lived asset that would have been financed by borrowing. That worked. It worked because we know it worked because everybody was thinking we were heading into the second Great Depression and we stopped not at the 25% unemployment rate of the Great Depression, but at the 10% rate, which was the maximum we had in the Great Financial Crisis. So it worked. But as financial markets normalize, that relationship has to be reversed. That is to say, if the capital markets ever normalize, we should expect interest rates to rise and the prices of other financial assets to fall, at least relatively. At the beginning of this February, it seemed that was beginning to happen. Now, a month later, we're still in the same situation we've been for a long time, with the interest rate, real or nominal, being so low that the prices of assets financed by borrowing are still unusually high, and the headline that showed up a few days later that uh, the sharpness of the crisis that seemed to have been developing was due to excessive margining tells you that what the mechanism was that uh, was going on. How that situation will be reversed remains to be seen. We should be thinking seriously about that eventuality as well. I'd like to conclude by thanking the CBC for this award and to thank also all of you for the important work the CBC is doing on a set of issues of fundamental importance to the future of the United States and to our role in the world. Thank you very much. That was Stanley Fisher, the former Federal Reserve Board Vice Chair, giving remarks at CBC's annual dinner yesterday on February 28th. Uh, I love the part when he says, it still works and still it could be better. Much like one of my mottos, government is good and it can be better. That's all for today. Next week, Ben and I will be back with some of our regular programming. Remember to check out CBCNY and GothamGazette.com for our latest stories and reports. Reach us directly with your reaction to the show and ideas for future episodes on Twitter at Maria Dulles and at TweetBenMax. This is Maria signing off. Thank you for listening. Bye.